Not mind, not Buddha. Once when a monk asked, what is Buddha? Masu said, not mind, not Buddha. Woman's comment. If you can see into the truth of this, your task of Chan investigation and training will be complete. When you meet a swordsman on the road, show him your sword. If you do not meet a poet, do not display your verses. If you meet someone with potential, tell that person three-fourths of the truth. You should not give the whole of it. Anyone have any thoughts about uh, that they'd like to share about uh, what we just uh, read and sat with? Mm. What I see in, oh, yeah. What I see is um, you, you should only show um, stuff to the person who can understand and appreciate it. Like, show your sword to the swordsman or like play your verses to the poet. And also for the teaching, um, um, it's like you should you should not teach everything. You should just teach part of it and let your students see out the rest. This reminds me of what my dad told me before. Uh, it made me much lower portion than um than here they said three fourths but what my dad told me is like before they um the teachers know ten but they only teach one and students learn one but they will know ten <laughs> yeah that's what I have can you explain that second thing Nancy oh yeah Again, so the yeah, the teacher's knowledge is 10, so up to 10, but they only teach one of it. And students learn one, but oh. they will pick out 10 on their I own. See. I oh. see. It. That's a good teaching, Nancy. Mm -hmm. your, your dad was a smart man. He was a teacher, yeah. right? Yeah, he's a teacher. Mm. Yeah, I like um, I like women's comments, um, you know, and you touched on the uh, part of potential kind of reminds me of, um, um, you know, the Jesus's quote, you know, don't, what is it, um, throw pearls before swine or, you know, some, something like that, you know, I, I don't know what the exact, uh, what the exact quote is. I like the idea that, um, you know, the teachings can only take me so far and then it's something that'll be discovered. You know, it, it'll arise of its own accord. Each person has to find its own, their own way uh, to, um, you know, realization, I think, you know. <clears throat> That's what I was thinking. And all he's saying is really it's not what you think it is. But in, in Judaism, there's the same idea about trying to define God and then it's like a sacrilege. Then he becomes an idol. 
You yeah, kill it. it. You, a... you kill it. And it's the same way. Kill the Buddha. Yeah. Like Emily Dickinson saying, never, never pain to tell thy love, love that told ne'er can be. You know, like mm -hmm. you, you kill these things when you try to define them. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, Okay, I'll try to sell tell this fast, but years ago I did a mural that was supposed to go on a big billboard in Columbia, Missouri. And then they asked me, you know, what it meant or something. And I pointed out that all the shapes were parts of a body. And they thought, oh no. So then they put it in an alley instead. After <laughs> I, but they had already chosen the piece and it was like a contest, okay? And then they, Okay, then yesterday I sold this piece to this woman and she came and picked it up and it was framed and beautiful and everything. And, she, and uh, I said, would you like me to tell you something about it or something? And she said, yes. And I said, well, that's the way my mind was when, you know, on that particular day. And the, she had such a terrible look on her face. You know, like it was some like decorative pretty thing or something. And I disappointed her almost like she wasn't going to take it now because it was, I said, everything we do is a mirror. And she didn't like that at all. Um, so anyway, and she, she, I think she had a degree in as a graphic designer. Now she's a massage therapist, but you know, she, she, she's not like, anyway, so there's always that problem when you answer a question or when you describe something of killing it. And, and uh, then there's the problem of asking questions that we see over and over again, like, you know, how do you learn about Zen or does a do dog have Buddha nature? So it's, it's in that thing where, where it seems like the question gets you in trouble. Yeah, it puts you into the world of concepts. And that's, that's not what I'm understanding, you know, that we're being um, pointed to. I think we're being pointed to something that's more like beingness or presence or something that can't be defined by a concept, you know. Yeah, well, he's even saying it's not mine. Yeah. But he's also saying it's not Buddha. Right. And there is a difference... That I don't know if, if it's actually in the translation, but there's two Buddhas, one with a big B and one with a little B, but this is in a, with a little B. Yeah. Um, which is not the man. So, but I don't know if, if but the question is with a little B. Both of them are little yeah. B. Yeah. Yeah. So what? Um, but what's I don't know whether we can take that, you know, if that's just an accident or if that really part of the koan that they're both little bees. Well, but I think it's significant that they're both little bees. I take it like that, yeah. Because he didn't ask what is a Buddha, what is a Buddha, or what is Buddha with the capital B. So that's a different. I'm thing. just going to find one more translation and see if. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that Gogu would make that error, but so I agree that the, I agree that the lowercase b holds significance. 
I mean, in the title, it's capitalized because it's a title, but um, yeah, we'll see. Okay. I don't know if there's capitalization in Chinese, though. Oh, look at here in, in, uh, I don't know, other places it is a big B. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Does anybody have or know the definition of Buddha? I was just thinking about that too. Do I even know exactly, you know, the Sanskrit or, you know, what the word was, is um, what the definition of that is? I don't think it's the enlightened one or awakened one. Yeah. Um, well, my, my, the question that came to my mind was, um, okay, is this monk who asked the question someone with potential? Um, so is that a 75% answer or is it <laughs> just a total dodge? <laughs> now here is with Nan Nansen, which I wonder is the Japanese name. For, do you know? Um, Mazu and Nanshin, are they the same person? Do you know Donna? Uh, I don't think so. Ma Mazu is the um, teacher. Yeah, and I think that. Oh, this is a different. This is a little bit different. Is there any Dharma that has not been preached to the people? There is. It, Oh, but then the answer is it is not mind, it is not Buddha, it is not things. Hmm. We did this one previously. Yes, we did. Oh, really? Yes. Talking too much spoils your virtue. This is case 27, Jim, and yes. we are on 33. Um. Can I, can I read what I wrote or after you? Yes. I just wonder, this is just what I'm sharing is my mind, not, not the answer. So let me make that clear. Um, so the first thing is, the first thing is, is my mind is trying to figure it out, right? So what is Buddha with a small B, not mind, not Buddha, neither mind nor, nor Buddha. Buddha is not Buddha. Is that because the mind is too small to comprehend what Buddha is? What if I held up a flower? I'm getting influenced by you, Kim. <laughs> is that a better answer? What is enlightened? Everything and everyone. What does that look like? Or how would I express that? What does something enlightened look like? Life as it is? Is that Buddha? Is it the universe doing what it does? Anyway, that's where my mind went. Lovely. Great. Yeah, a lot of questions. It, yeah, you know, it, it, I don't have one, one question after the other because, <laughs> in a way, I mean, I, I actually, you know, went through something very similar where my mind was trying to figure it out. And then I got a message that said the mind will never, never figure this out. Mm -hmm. And then the whole thing, then my mind went quiet. It was, it was an experience I had. My mind just dropped into this quiet place. Mm. So, I, then, well, and my question was, 
after several questions, and it was all questions, about six or seven of them, how are we to trust our own judgment when deciding what to share, how much, when we ourselves do not know all? In other words, it's mm, either, either one is very, very skilled at determining the level of potential and insight in someone else and would have to be to come to a, um, in my, the word I came up with, a kind conclusion about how much to share and not share. Because sometimes when you share too much, it's more than that person can handle and may cause harm, may even go as far as causing harm. Um, so I just even wondered, there are all the, there, there's, there's an assertion that don't share all, but then behind that is, uh, how am I to make that judgment about how much to or not to share? And so the only, I don't have a full answer to that. A few popped up, but I don't know that they're accurate. Yeah, I, I don't know in any of these koans or any teacher that I've come across that actually um, claims that through what they say to you and what they tell you, you're going to be enlightened. It's, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, um, it's something that actually... Um, you can lead people up to a certain point and point the direction. You know, they're all pointers, aren't they? You know, but that last little little bit is something that can't be given to anybody. You know, otherwise you just, if you were a great teacher, you just go around and I don't know, you know, with your magic wand and, you know, hit people on the forehead or something. <laughs> I think Nelda's asking to me, what you're asking is, how do you do the right thing if you're not enlightened? Correct. And mm, there's, forgive me, I'm just going to talk. There seems to be an arrogance to me in assuming that I know or anyone knows exactly the right amount to give and to withhold. I think that's a judgment call based on where you are because not any one of us knows all except an enlightened you know, being. And so that, that I guess where, where my mind went was in terms of in sharing, there's lots of outcomes. There could be growth and enlightenment and awakening, and there could also be harm depending on how you meet that out. It's like with a baby, what you feed a baby at an appropriate time. And so I just, my, my question was, in, in terms of what I, in my practice, were to share, um, ma even making that judgment about to what extent do I share so that it does not cause harm? Um, how do I know that's the right amount or too much or too little? So that's kind of where I went. I, I trust that our more um, practiced and, and for lack of a better word, studied um, teachers um, in, in consultation and meeting and depth and practice with those of us who are students have refined and refined that skill, but I don't know. 
But Nelda, isn't that what, um, isn't that why we study the precepts? Yes. And we still make mistakes. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the whole idea is the precepts help guide us, but they yeah. don't guarantee that we will know the answer. Right. They only help provide a framework for us to kind of move um, on the path. Exactly, Stephanie, and that's exactly my point. When you read the comment is sort of, it's a directive. Here's what you do. You don't share, you do this, you don't. And I'm like, well, there's an underlying thing we need to figure out first. And that is, how do we know the right measure in the place where we are as the transmitter of information at that point. Well, so, you know, Nelda, it feels yes. to me that you can't know except in the moment that you're in. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, what you're talking about could go with even parenting or being a good psychologist or mm -hmm. just, just in normal everyday interaction. We actually can't predict or know what's called for until the moment is, you know? And I think, I think Stephanie's right. I, I feel that the precepts kind of help us um, gather the background for that. But I, I don't, you know, when I'm having a conversation, a difficult one, let's say with my son or somebody, I, I might think of all kinds of scenarios or what he's ready to hear or how the conversation would go. But if I do too much of that, then I miss all the um, beautiful clues or, you know, spontaneous, you know, um, interaction, you know? Right. The, the sense of the moment, you miss the sense of the moment, yes. So anyway, I, that's, I guess that's, that's my, um, I, I just always want to do no harm. <laughs> Don't we all, right? Yeah, but even, yeah. even being saying nothing is sometimes yes. does that. So you, yes. you have and to I, do something often. And you know, Nelda, Peg has touched on that subject many times for a lot of us that it's, it's so uncomfortable. Um, on, on the spectrum, it goes from being uncomfortable to being extremely painful to think about taking a life, whether it's eating something that has been living or uh, supporting a war, you know, something like that. But what she said was, what she has told me many times is, you have to remember that every time you drink a glass of water, every time you walk on this earth, you are killing life. There, there is no way to escape it. You are killing life. And so when you think about that, it, it, to me, it's very humbling. It's very humbling and reminds me, I cannot do it perfectly. Oh, you know, Stephanie, you know, that reminds me once I had this, I was eating breakfast at a retreat and all of a sudden it just felt like, oh, Life is eating life. Yeah. Because we're not yeah. separate. We're not separate from that. I mean, right. it was like, you know, I was eating, I don't know what it was, some strawberries or vegetables or something. I don't know. It was breakfast. 
And I was thinking, oh, this is beautiful. It's life eating Taking <laughs> in itself almost. You know what I mean? It's sort right. Of <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, we have to keep falling back into that remembering that we are interconnected. We do not live our lives or survive without something else giving up its being. Whether that's a plant, whether that's meat, if we choose to eat meat or fish, we don't live without something else dying. And changing form. And changing form. The, yeah. more, the food that I eat becomes part of my body and, you know, the right. way I function and, you know, um, I mean, it's just all this. What do they, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says, interbeing, interbeing. Yeah, interbeing, yes. Yeah. And also talking about, uh, like, worrying, uh, I mean, uh, Feeling worried uh, about making mistakes remind me of the uh, conversation I have we've had recently. She also told me that if you're so worried of making mistakes, you will not learn anything because we learn through mistakes. <laughs> so right, just do it and learn from it and then improve. <laughs> who was it that said um, being a, a Zen priest is just one mistake after another, one yeah. failure after another? Wonder. Yeah. So here's to failure, guys. <laughs> Here we are. To that. Yeah. Well, do we want to go on or? Yes. Okay. Let's um, let's read uh, Wogu's comment. We'll go alphabetical this time, starting with uh, Donna. All righty. Wogu's comment. This case is a follow-up of case 30 where Dame asked, what is Buddha? To which Mazu replied, mind is Buddha. Dame was awakened. Later, as Mazu wanted to test Dame, he sent one of his students to tell Dame a new teaching. This case is an extrapolation of that conversation and frames the questioner as Dame, even though it was Mazu's student who conveyed the not mind, not Buddha teaching to Dame. Mazu's first teaching, mind is Buddha, is for the deaf. Mazu's second teaching, not mind, not Buddha, is for the mute. Do you understand? If you don't, read on. Please, let's read on. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> that's me. As I as said earlier in case 30, what is Buddha represents one of the most important questions for Chan practitioners. But it is also a question that stems from delusion. The scriptures tell us that Buddhahood is something intrinsic in all of us. So essentially, Da Mei was asking, having practiced all of these years, I still have vexations. I still have afflictions. What is this Buddhahood that lies within me that I don't see? Mm. An analogy of this might be of someone seeking beauty, which is rather fitting in our modern culture, where everyone seems to be seeking that. Some people's sense of beauty is to be glamorous with a good body shape. Other sense of beauty 
maybe in wearing baggy pants that drop down to their buttocks. <laughs> Everyone is chasing after form, <coughs> whether you are conscious of it or not, from brushing teeth early in the morning to combing hair, wearing a particular kind of shirt at night, or sleeping under a particular type of blanket. There are also those who have plastic surgery done on their face and body. The problem is no matter how one tries, it is difficult to find beauty until one day the seeker meets a famous person who specializes in it. The seeker asks, what is beauty? The beautician replies, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, in the mind's eye. There is no such thing as beauty, and all of a sudden the seeker gets it. I think Lori and I have been having that argument about whether it's beautiful at Appamata with all the cut bushes. <laughs> or don't Kim, Kim, this story yes. you had, this story you had about uh, the person who bought your art piece. Yeah. What this reminds me of. Oh. Um, because really, the art piece is about what it evokes in you, not about even what the artist had in mind. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'll go for that either. But okay. <laughs> Back into the mind is everything is the is the projection of the mind. That whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What and where is Buddha? Oh, you should know. Oh, I think that's Lori. Yeah. yeah. Lori is next. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> what and where is Buddha? You should know by now that the mind is Buddha, but because of attachments, you still look outside yourself for it. In pointing out that mind is Buddha, Mazu is saying something so obvious that it really need not be said. Like a person holding water and asking for water who says, I'm holding the water. What? I don't get that. Like a person holding water and asking for water who says, I'm holding the water. Suddenly, one's notion of outside vanishes. One realizes Buddha is oneself. In this present case, Masu says, not mine, not Buddha. This is like someone who says, my mind is Buddha. My mind is Buddha, or I'm holding water in my hand. I'm holding water in my hand. And so Masu said, no mind, no Buddha. Out of compassion, woman exacerbates this redundancy by luring you. If you can see into the truth of this, your task of Chan investigation and training will be complete. The truth of what? If you think, not mine, not Buddha, being mute, is better than mind is Buddha, being deaf, then you have taken poison as medicine. Abandon the project of both and you will for the first time hear and see. Isn't it true that life is a series of events that pull the rug out from under you? Each time it occurs, it takes a little bit of you with it. Yet you resist it, so your suffering magnifies. If you'd only give in and allow yourself to soak up the wisdom that is in this falling, you would come to great life. In allowing attachments and resistance to fall away, self also falls away. 
Even before Mazu's time, Buddhists for several hundred years had been saying that it is your mind that realizes Buddhahood. The nature of mind is not any different from the nature of emptiness. Still, for just as long, there are Buddhists who have advocated that Buddhahood is something far away in the distant future, and that only after practicing for three innumerable eons can one become a Buddha. Chan brings notions of Buddhahood down from the clouds to the concrete reality of daily life. Chan masters ask, right here, right now, what is mind? What is Buddha? Principle, Mazu could have said anything. The move to try to reconcile the two answers or to think of one as higher and the other lower, that one is an expedient means and the other is a more advanced teaching is just another form of intellectualization or objectification. The truth is this, if there is anything that you can hold on to, it is wrong. When my teacher, Chan Master Shen Yen, first taught me how to do silent illumination, or Maz, Maz Hao, Ma, anyone know how to say that? I think it would be Maz Hao. Maz Hao. As a meditation method, he said, do not use your eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. Use the method. There's nothing for the mind to hold on to. It is not a state of oblivion. One is wakefully practicing the method. But what is the method? <clears throat> it is simply wakeful letting go. There's nothing to grasp, nothing to construct, nothing to fabricate, nothing to rely on. Although I didn't know what he was talking about at the time, it made a very deep impression in me. I understood it as... Anything I can hold on to, attached to, cannot let go of is bondage. Think about it. What are the things you, that you cannot let go of? That's how many barriers you have to awakening. Even an attachment to awakening is an obstruction to awakening. When you meet a swordsman on the road, show him your sword. If you do not meet a poet, do not display your verses. If you meet someone with potential, Tell that person three quarters of the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. If you, you should not give the whole of it. Even though I said above that Masu gave these teachings about mind and Buddha for the deaf and mute, in practice, you have to become deaf and mute. You must not take experience and intellectual knowledge about who you are as who you are. You have to shut your ears and mouth. There's no need to learn so many things and blabber so many words. You must personally awaken yourself. Your reception to Buddha Dharma has to do with timing and appropriateness. If you learn, if you learn too many things, you become confused. If you learn too many things, you become confused. If you refugiate no, to others what you have learned, your advice becomes poison, not really useful. That's the meaning of the verse above. What is most important is for you to personally realize Buddha Dharma. 
you have to be willing to do anything. If you hold back and hesitate, you will not be able to realize. Sometimes Chan masters put students through hell to test the resolve. That's how they discern Dharma heirs from those part-time practitioners. My grandmaster, Master Dong Chu, put my teacher through hell. He once told Shenyan to knock down a part of a wall in order to make a door in the temple. After my teacher did so and was ready to get wood frames to finish the job, Dong Chu said, that's the wrong place for the door. I told you to do it over there. Shengyun said, you told me to make this door over here. Put it all back, Dong Chu answered, adding, every piece of broken stone, all the shattered bricks that are now on the floor came from the generosity of lay devotees. We must be frugal. Put these pieces of brick back together. Where do you all want me to stop? <laughs> uh, finish the dialogue, maybe. Okay. But they're all in pieces, Shenyan said. Use your wits. You're smart, aren't you? Put it all back together. Shenyan then memorized every piece and every shape. When everything was completely clear in his mind, except for those stones that had disintegrated into dust, he was able to reassemble all the broken pieces of brick into holes. Dongchu came along and said, now that you've put the broken pieces of brick back together, stack them up. Go on, Donna. Uh, you may think, how does one stack broken bricks? My teacher, not knowing what to do, just went outside into the fields. He was ready to leave this crazy old man. Then he saw those enormous banana leaves. Taiwan is a subtropical region with many banana plants and inspiration came to him. He placed a banana leaf on the ground, then set a first layer of broken bricks on top, then a leaf to cover, then a layer of bricks, and so on, until all the bricks were used in that pile. When he was done, his teacher was at first utterly surprised. Why don't you finish that last one? Then? Don't you sigh. Hmm, these bricks are useless. We should probably just throw them away. I'll talk to the devotees tomorrow. I'm sure they'll understand. Most of you would probably think that Dong Chu was totally nuts. Any normal person would have told him off or walked away. What he was asking was unreasonable. Maybe he would try to find a more compassionate teacher, the type that always smiles and tells you to relax and breathe and appreciate you. Later, Dong Chu transmitted the Dharma to my teacher, who then succeeded him at his monastery in Taiwan. In times of vexations, you have to ask, what is Buddha? Is mine Buddha or is it not? Is it not mine, not Buddha? Asking in this way may make this case come alive. There are many such opportunities in your life. For example, if someone accuses you of doing something you did not do, isn't this your chance? Or if your boss, your colleague, or your friend acts mean to you, isn't this your chance? You usually don't see these situations as opportunities to practice because you've captivate, you're captivated by your own story, by our own stories about them. 
this remind me of a story. I forgot the name of the person, uh, but um, he he's a very great master um, in martial art or something. And he, he went to look for um, a disciple. Then he sat in, on the bridge um, over the river. And then um, there was a man came and then he drove. No, at first he just uh, uh, he told the man to pick up his um, his shoe on the river. So the first time it's just like the man tried to help him. But then when the man walked away, he, he intentionally throw it down on the river again and like ask the man to pick up. And it happened like that like three, four times. And the man still did it for him. So finally, he um, he took the man as his disciple. And after that, that man become very like, popular. But I forgot this, the name of that two people. Mm. Yeah. It's in Chinese um, literature. Yeah. Mm. Huh. That's interesting. Huh. Like testing for your patient or something like that. <laughs> I think it's your turn to read, Nancy. And no, it's Lori. Uh, oh, Lori. Yeah. If you miss these opportunities, then you are like a person swimming in a pool and complaining that you don't see water. The task of a teacher is not to come up with concepts about water. His or her job is just to push your head down in the water so you start drowning. When you do and start to swallow water involuntarily, you will naturally know what water is, and then you'll be pulled up. That's comforting, isn't it? <laughs> no. Not. Not really. <laughs> I kind of like um, the second to last paragraph in the times of uh, vexations ask, what is Buddha? Is mind Buddha or is it not? Um, mind or not buddha it's it's not to me it didn't evoke the thing that i need to ask those specific questions but in times of vexations it seems like just taking a pause and then kind of going into the mystery of really not knowing what's going on or who you are and just get settling into your system and kind of asking um what would Buddha do? Or, you know, um, I used to ask, what would love do? And I had no idea what the answer was, but because I was pausing, something seemed to happen so that the situation I was in, um, it, it seemed to be something spontaneous would arise, you know, that didn't seem harmful or seemed wise. And I didn't even know it was there. You know, so that's what that last paragraph um, was reminding me of is, is, you know, pausing whenever I'm triggered, you know, basically, and kind of just asking an internal question like, you know, what would, you know, if, if I am Buddha nature, what would Buddha do, you know, and not even knowing what would happen after that. Maybe nothing, maybe Buddha yell, I don't know, you know. <laughs> But just that pause. I am, I, am, I am struggling with this, and I may even have an individual 
time with Flint over it because um, I don't know that this approach of throwing you into the water is good for people who've had a lot of trauma. I, I just think it's um, it would tend to re-traumatize those who have. And well, so there's, just... There's an idea of skillful means where you would yes. find whatever this doesn't sound skillful means to me to throw no people it's not i don't think you know i think in some situations it would be perfect and some yeah. it wouldn't it would not yeah so I'm that's sure, what I'm, struggling I'm sure with. flint would agree to that yeah and that's where that um discernment or that natural clarity of somebody who you know perhaps is a little more awake you know might come into play um but um, I, al I also think, too, or notice that, you know, in this path, you're not allowed to hold on to anything. I mean, you really aren't. And he talks about that. Uh, um, I met with some, for some coffee with a couple of friends yesterday, and this is what we were talking about, that we couldn't hang on to any sense of identity even the one of being like a good person, even that, <laughs> it's so humbling. It's such a humbling path. You know, my, my friend uh, is a wonderful, loving, warm man. And yet he saw somebody erected in his neighborhood. And since he's very concerned about the homeless thing and whatever, um, just kind of lost it and went over and talked to the neighbors that erected it thinking that maybe it was a homeless encampment. And it turns out that his neighbors were just trying to practice for a camping trip and had erected a tent. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he prides himself on being this warm person, but he lost in that instant, he kind of lost being nice and became, you know, a little confrontational and annoyed and angry. And we just laughed about that. And, so you really can't identify yourself as spiritual, as a great person, as a victim, as a perpetrator, any of it. You can't hang on to anything. And um, that's a little bit about what I think I was reading in here too, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, there's just no way I can figure any of this out. <laughs> And that applies, Gail, to life. I mean, we have this illusion we can hang on to whatever. We can hang on to nothing. Not even life. We, I mean, we can't even keep life. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. the body. I mean, but we. I don't mind letting go of things that I didn't like, you know. <laughs> but then when I have to let go of the stuff that I really kind of am clinging to as the good stuff, you know, that's, it's humbling. It's really humbling. Yeah. Okay, about letting go, I read the story. Um, I keep not remember uh, the person's name, but um, she's a Zen master afterward, uh, Zen teacher. She told the story of her life like before she um, she went on the path. She said that before she's just a lay, a lay person and they really um, indulge with normal life. So he, uh, she has a husband and then a very a happy uh, life with good job and uh, one of the possession. But then one day, 
all of a sudden, her husband came home and told her that he had an affair for a while, and now he decided to divorce. And now they have to like, like separate everything, their possession and stuff. She said, all of a sudden, she dropped to like the boundless space. It's like she doesn't know what to do anymore because she is so delayed rely on him even though she doesn't have a job but it's not the main thing for her like she she attached to her husband a lot so she said that moment when she realized that like the the special thing about powerlessness and she went on the path Mm -hmm. can't cling to anything you can't cling to anything um and expect that it's going to give you this peace and happiness that we're looking for, for any, you know, it's an inward journey. It's not anything that we think we are, that we have, you know, I don't know. And it's funny too, that the journey doesn't take us where we, I mean, it, it just provides us a way to deal with things. It doesn't make anything necessarily better. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're going to have, you know, your spouse leave or your people to die or, you know, all the horrible things that happen in life, you know, the things that happen in life. It doesn't alter that at all, but it may alter how you deal with it. That's it. I do love the component of our practice because this is, uh, talk about clinging. I do cling to this. The component of our practice that says, and these are Nelda's words, paraphrasing, keep living, keep moving, expect no result. I mean, just have no expectations for what the outcome is going to be. Keep mm-hmm. moving forward. Keep doing what you, what you can possibly do or perceive you should do within your practice and just don't expect any particular result and that that will bring a greater peace to your life so i was telling someone as an aside the other day and this is meant to be funny i still hoped to meet the love of my life and so he was saying to me oh that's an attachment i'm like no i'm gonna hope and then when I'm on my deathbed and it hasn't happened, I'll go, oh, well, that didn't turn out. Let's move on. And it'll just, that's just the way you keep moving and not attached to any particular result. I like that optimism, Nelda. <laughs> <laughs> and Nelda, um, it reminds me of a Rumi poem where uh, it talks about uh, on the day that they, they put you in the grave, that's where you'll meet your lover who was your true lover who was behind <laughs> the face of all your lovers. So, oh, that's no. lovely. Oh, I look forward to that day now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Donna. That's beautiful. And you can't really predict. I, I haven't been able to predict what's in my best interest ever. You know, just like Nancy's talking about, you know, this teacher who felt her world was, you know, just looking perfect and just what she might want. And then it all crashed down, but a whole new thing opened up for her, you know, a whole new path opened up. And I have no idea um, what's in my best interest. Um, 
I, I would have hoped that every single child that I had was um, happy and went on for a, a really productive life and, you know, had kids and a good job and all these other things. Stephanie knows where I'm going with this. <laughs> but it didn't actually happen that way. And at the time, it felt like the worst thing possible. But, you know, my God, it's kind of put us all on these paths that I never could have predicted. That maybe even better than what I could have imagined, you know? Are we done? Maybe for now. Yes. <laughs>